Hi, I'm Dr. Morbaja, astrodynamicist, space environmentalist, and associate professor of aerospace engineering and engineering mechanics at the University of Texas at Austin. And I listen to the Cold Star Project. The show is for entertainment purposes only and is not intended to be what is termed professional advice. The Cold Star Project is proudly presented by the Operational Excellence Society. Cold Star Tech is a supporter of the OPEX Society, and Jason Gannigan is a member of its board of advisors. Talk with us at Cold Star Tech to find out more about the OPEX Society and what we can achieve together in your organization, or just visit opexsociety.org. Thanks for joining us for today's show. Today's guest is Dr. Andrew Aldrin, an associate professor and director of the Aldrin Space Institute. He teaches right now at the Florida Institute of Technology. Uh, and he's also with the International Space University folks. Running a great program, it's called the uh, Graduate Commercial Certificate uh, Program, and it's all about how to be an entrepreneur in the space industry, and it is incredibly valuable. It's something that everyone in the space industry really needs to participate in and, uh, and understand. Uh, we've talked about it several times, and. Uh, Andy approached me a little while ago and said, hey, let's, let's do another talk here. And uh, I was like, all right, what do you want to talk about? Um, so the state of the space industry right now and the economy, what is the space economy and, and what do we need to do to grow it? I personally have been getting kind of frustrated with uh, the, the lack of a, a true commercial space industry. The money is still coming from government and uh, that's... Not exactly what I'd like to see happening. I'd like to see a lot more true commercial activity. But uh, as, as Dr. Aldrin explains in our discussion, um, maybe we need some more of this uh, government spending uh, for the moment. And as usual, I've come away uh, with, a, with an improved perspective on the space industry and investment and what we need to do to get it done and he really divides it up into two two types two classes of investment that needs to be made you know the infrastructure side and the services or application side and they both truly do need different models different investment models and so let's listen in uh, let's have a great discovery conversation here i think this will be as educational for you as it was for me truly enjoy having andy on so andy welcome Hey, we're back with Dr. Andrew Aldrin, who is uh, teaching at the Florida Institute of Technology, International Space University. He's been running a really interesting commercial space certificate program there for a couple of years now, and we've had a few episodes about that. Uh, we've also studied his PhD. Remember, he is a doctor. And uh, looked at the history of Soviet space development, which is a fascinating topic, and how there was a kernel of entrepreneurialism in that topic. And uh, so he wanted to come back on today and we're going to talk about the maturation of the space industry. I don't know too many people beyond the venture capitalists who want to talk about this stuff. Most people who are founders want to talk about their cool technology. Andy, welcome. And uh, let's let's start with this. Um, I, I just ran a, a workshop for space founders and I was a little bit discouraged that uh, there wasn't as much interest as I had hoped in learning business fundamentals. Uh, I think there's still far too much love uh, of, of the technology, right? And we're going to go to the DOD or the DIU and they're going to pay for it. What's your opinion on that? So 
Um, I mean, this is something that we really concentrate on in our graduate program that you've got to understand the market, you've got to understand the ecosystem. So I come in here with a little bit of a bias. Very rarely is, is a technology alone sufficient. You've got to understand there has to be a need. There has to be a need to use that technology to perform a task. And, and that has to be worth paying you something for a profit, right? It's fundamentally, right? It, it's all about profit equals revenue minus cost. And if you don't get that right, your, your history, the technology doesn't matter. And so um, what's happened a little bit is I think we have understandably fallen in love with the Silicon Valley model, which is that you come up with something cool, somebody wants it and, and you can build a business very quickly and instantly have revenue and tremendous growth opportunities and, and it all happens and and space is different that way i mean the first thing is there are lots of different segments in space but you know at at, at its base they're kind of two two space programs there's the hardware whether it's launch whether it's spacecraft whether it's ground systems and then there's the applications and, and the applications frankly look like fit the Silicon Valley model. It works for venture capital where your venture capitalist needs to have 20% returns, five years and, and they're out, right? And, and it's hard to do that in space with the hardware, right? It's hard to get something done in five years. It's hard to make margins that are gonna be able to pay your investors 20% annual returns because you're not gonna have any revenues for the first few years. And, and the, the entire hardware market isn't really that large, you know, of the, whatever we've got $400 billion space market today, about a hundred million of that's hardware. The rest of it is communications, it's GPS chips, it's, it's other services. And so the, you know, we tend to take that $400 billion and say that that's all hardware and it's not. And so, um, and the growth is primarily Going to be in the other in the applications and communications earth observation and those kind of areas so we're we're kind of falling in love with a model that applies to, to some of space and maybe the majority of the space economy but it doesn't work for the part of space that we really need which is hardware we need to have hardware ultimately and i i do worry that you're going to have a portion of the space economy and applications that's going to grow very rapidly and have reasonable economic returns, but hardware is going to get starved because it's not such a great investment. Okay, I, I see the concern there. Uh, it, you know, when, when we're looking at a Silicon Valley model, it assumes this large addressable market with tons of people who are buying things. And, and I'll bang that drum, right? The make space boring concept is about having the average guy on the street and he wants to buy something made in space and it gets made up there and flown down to him or something right that's that's the idea i'm in love with <laughs> but mm -hmm. you need infrastructure <laughs> and an infrastructure does not pay very well as, as you say right it's the hard stuff and unfortunately we do need that in order to run the software uh, and the, these applications on top of it so yeah, I always come away from a talk with you, Andy, with a with a slightly improved perspective, which is great, you know. And, and today, <laughs> this is the eye-opening part of it, right? It's like, well, 
you know, I, I'm very wary when I hear, but my business is different. I actually wrote a blog post about this years ago, right? All businesses are at essence the same, right? You, mm-hmm. you provide something of value to somebody else and they pay you and uh, the, the money that they pay you should be more than what it costs you to do the thing, right? Provide the right. value, right? right. Um, but as you say, with the Silicon Valley uh, model, where, you know, and I, I taught this in the workshop, right? Go to the business model canvas and, and do the Steve Blank stuff, right? Uh, and it's great stuff, but the standards that apply for these models with the venture capitalists trying to make that 100x return, and as you say, they have a very limited time window. Right. Uh, even um, Michael Mealing at, at uh, Starbridge maybe has an eight or 10 year window. It's not long enough right, for, for space infrastructure. So maybe in the short term, while we go from zero to one in the space industry, because we're not there yet, we got, we got a bunch of ideas floating around, um, maybe we need to treat these as two different business models. And uh, so where does the money come from for the space infrastructure? Yeah, so I think there are a lot of interesting things going on. And it's, and they will continue to be Silicon Valley investment and their, you know, the miniaturization of spacecraft has made it a lot more realistic to think of things getting done in three to five years and, um, and getting to revenue, but still the margins are going to be a tough, a tough sell. Um, so that will, that will still be there, even in the hardware side of the business. But I think increasingly, you're going to see a few things that, um, I think are positive developments. One of the positive developments is is um, is government participation, right? So NASA is kind of playing with this model that they're going to buy services and is willing to put money up front to uh, you know to reduce the market risk. Um, I mean, in business, there are really two risks: there's cost risk and there's revenue risk. And 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 NASA is willing to absorb a significant portion of both of those for a service that they need. And so that's a really positive development. There are other things going on with governments, with AFWorks, with DIU, that I think are positive examples of how the government can provide some portion of risk reduction, whether it's finance, whether it's providing you know, revenue guarantees, loan guarantees, lots of different things that government can do to encourage the development of that infrastructure because they need it. Mm-hmm. Right. So it's in their interest and the taxpayers interests. And, and if we, you do all of these things right and you balance risk between government and industry, um, government can get a lot more for a lot less. So that's a really positive development. Okay. I think some of the mergers that are going on, whether it's Redwire, Voyager, um, have really positive implications. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm encouraged by those because, again, it's kind of distributing risk. It's... Um, combining back office services and things like this. I, th- I think it's a positive development and, and the people behind these things seem to be really sensible and they're doing good business. And so you could see that grow a fair amount. And I think that would be a really positive thing. Um, and then there's SPACs, mm-hmm. then there's SPACs. And I think we're all kind of trying to figure out what's gonna happen with SPACs, um, but whatever it is, you know, whether, this is sort of a balanced investment between early investors, late investors. Um, it seems like it's a way to capitalize companies and, and provide a little bit more transparency, maybe not full transparency. And so those are kind of positive things. What, what worries me though is the valuations. 
-hmm. and the valuations are just, they're crazy. You can't, it's really hard to get there um, without some really, really optimistic views of, of what's going to happen in the future. And, and the way SPACs report, um, because there isn't really audits and they can report future earnings based on what they think could happen. And, and I think um, it encourages a little bit too much optimism, irrational exuberance maybe. Is, is something that's happening. I mean, the, the, these valuations are not sustainable. I mean, whether the companies themselves can sustain business is kind of the real question. And if they're going to get a big chunk of capital up front, I think that's a very positive thing. The thing that worries me is if they invest all of this capital to try and meet what are unrealistic business goals. And so they end up incurring huge fixed cost, which um, which are, are dangerous. And it's, a, it's the real, um, it's the alligator in the water of space industry of, of, of the infrastructure side of our fixed cost. That's what gobbles up companies. Um, and so if they can avoid those kinds of things and they can keep enough dry powder to get through the shakeout, because we will have a shakeout, right? Just to use small launch as an example, you know, we've got a hundred and some odd companies and we're actually doing a study on this and, and the market, um, when you get down from the total addressable market down to a real serviceable market, you know, can sustain maybe two, maybe three companies. And even then they can't sustain them at anything like the launch rate that they're expecting. I mean, we see, you know, something like 125-ish launches a year in, in that market space. And, and you got one company that, that who shall remain nameless that's you know, claiming they're going to get 300 launches. And they need that to maintain their valuation. Um, and so there's going to be a shakeout in, in that industry and there's going to be a shakeout in others as well. So the companies that come out of that, though, may emerge from that, if they're smart, may emerge from that stronger companies with larger market share and more profitability. And, and I think what I would look at is look at the companies that are, that are using that cash wisely um, and not over-investing, not incurring too much fixed cost and um, build business models that allow them to survive at realistic markets. Mm. And, and the companies that come out of the shakeout may come out as really, really healthy companies. And there's, you know, I'm not saying there's going to be a massive shakeout like what we had in 2000, but there is going to be a shakeout to be sure. And if you, you know, again, looking at small launch, there are something like 20 companies that have received hundreds of thousands, if not millions of dollars in investment. I mean, these are real companies. And, and if only two or three of them is, are gonna survive, that's it's not a great survival rate. But I guess, you know, that's not atypical for venture capital, right? Because the mm -hmm. venture capital is looking for 10%, maybe 5%. And so, you know, maybe that's what we're looking at. Right. Yeah. Most are going to lose. Well, I, I don't know. I, you, you're changing my mind in our discussion today about what expectations, maybe. Uh, you know, I've been I've been really on space's case, not that it cares, but uh, <laughs> we need more commercial space companies, right? Uh, less less pulling money out of DOD and, and NASA and, that, and more actual companies selling things, right? That people want to other, maybe other space companies or something, but having a real, real uh, commercial model, not just moving government money underneath this cup and calling it private equity or private, you know, um, money now, right? And right. and uh, commercial money, 
And that's just not the case. So maybe we do need to look at it as uh, this, this idea that, oh, we have to build the infrastructure. It's very expensive. Therefore, we need companies that have large cash reserves because as you say, if there's trouble, they're not going to survive. And if all their money's tied up in the infrastructure, they're not going to have any money to continue to operate, to pay their people, right? So they better be right. thinking about this now. <laughs> well, you know, maybe I need to change my mind and, <laughs> and get on well, board and, with, the, with the defense stuff a little more. Well, and to, don't forget, you know, so you've got $400 billion economy today, which will grow to a trillion, which, you know, initially when that number came out, I said, no, nah, that can't be. But then I started looking and I go, okay, you know, it's not crazy. I mean, it does involve a huge chunk of 400 billion or so is, is um, broadband, uh, broadband data, internet, essentially. And that, I'm, I'm trying to understand how realistic that market looks, but we're early in that study. But um, don't forget, that of the 400 billion, 100 billion of that, as I said earlier, is, is infrastructure. And almost all of that is government. 80 billion of it is government. 87 or something like that is government. And so the government spends money on infrastructure. They buy services too, but not, not as much. And so most of the commercial activity is on the services side, but increasingly we see more and more companies getting into um into the hardware side and and interestingly that seems to be where all the SPACs are concentrated um in the tough part of the business um because it may be that you know for the easy part of business for the for the applications venture capital is a perfectly good alternative um so the government is the 800 pound gorilla whether it's the u.s government the chinese government European governments, and they have legitimate needs for this 80, $90 billion of infrastructure that they spend every year. And so they're gonna be out there doing that. If they buy it as a, as a service, that's a good thing. And if companies can take what the government investment is in buying their hardware and then use that hardware for commercial applications, that's a great thing. And um, we would like to see more innovative new companies coming into that market space, um, but it's going to have to make sense. Mm -hmm. Okay. Well, that's, that's kind of a beacon of hope then <laughs> that, that when you look at it, those I've seen those kind of concentric circle pie chart type things drilling down into uh, the space economy and that. And uh, so it's, it's good. It is good that the government is already investing that money, right? They, they don't need to they be are. cajoled into it or anything like that. Well, and it's and, not gonna it's not gonna change dramatically. Right. <clears throat> right. Yeah. I can I can remember in my home province of British Columbia, there was a change in governments and uh, people were ooing and aahing. And there were major changes made in um, the services uh, of like health and welfare and things like that, right? But the but the budget changes were like four percent, six percent. They were not enormous things. Now, right. They did they did have um, big results that right. a lot people of people go, didn't like, but the changes were not enormous in terms of dollars. People go nuts if NASA loses a billion dollars and, and it's, that's 5%, which mm -hmm. is a big deal, but it's, the NASA budget is pretty stable. I mean, it, yeah. it, it's gone up lately over the last few years pretty significantly, and that's a good thing, but um, 
it is remarkably stable. And it's in some ways, this is, uh, this is heresy, but you know, I can be a heretic now, but I, I honestly think that um, we spend an awful lot of time worrying about public opinion in space. Mm. When every time we attract public attention and political attention to the space program, you know, since Kennedy, mm -hmm. it, it ends up not working out all that well. And, you know, we, we had, you know, we've had significant changes over the past few administrations. It looks like we're going to weather this administration shift without significant changes. But, you know, it's interesting to note that there isn't a whole lot of discussion about space. And that's not a bad thing because, you know, NASA is going to get its $10 billion and spend it on human spaceflight, whether there's whether there is public opinion support or not. Roger Lanius has, has actually looked at public opinion, you know, mm -hmm. since Apollo, before Apollo even. And, and it's remarkably stable, you know, whether it's in the peak of Apollo or the depths of the shuttle program, you still end up with like 20% of the people love space, another 40% maybe think it's okay. And then the other 40% don't really care at all. And, and it doesn't change. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, I think sometimes we worry too much about political support, public support, if you will. Political support is obviously there. It's there in terms of jobs, and, and we know that. But that's solid. That's a stable source of political support. So, right. I, I, you know, I think we, we tend to play to the crowd a little too much sometimes. Okay. Yeah, so just get on with the business of quietly creating the capabilities that, uh, that we need to create. Um, that's good for national security. I'm, I'm reminded of, uh, of, of Henry Ford, right, and making the car, right? He said, if I asked the public what it wanted, it would have said faster horse and carriages, right? Right. right. <laughs> so, right. you know, right. it's like, you know, create this new thing and then confront the public with it and have them go, oh, like it, it's, I remember when the iPhone came out, right? It was totally different from the Blackberries or the, the flip phones or whatever we were using before. And I didn't know I wanted it until I saw it and I had mm -hmm. it. And once in a while, I'll run into people who say something like, oh, we should be fixing problems here on Earth before doing stuff in space. And I, I realized, first of all, right there, one, they don't know what the budget scales are. Right. And how right. tiny space is, is as far as the, the national budget goes. Two, it's a non sequitur. This is not an either or thing. Space helps. <laughs> terrestrial things and um you know i just kind of think great yeah like you say get on with it right let's let's pick our targets and our capabilities and and go get it yeah i mean the what other is a bureaucratic do? political reality that mm. that programs get institutionalized and so right. once they get institutionalized it they operate within boundaries and and i think you know john logson who i studied under a long long time ago um, wrote in one of his more recent books that um, under Nixon, space became normalized. It mm -hmm. became a normal policy program as opposed to under Kennedy, where it was an initiative and, and we will never get back to that kind of initiative. It will mm -hmm. be a normal program. And so let it be normal. When I realize that's heretical for a lot of people. <laughs> Well, uh, yeah, but stirring up the hornet's nest <laughs> um, often slows things down. Uh, I, I'm reminded of a sales principle, which goes like this. It's very simple. Trust is speed. And if people are busy talking and discussing the merits and poking around trying to see, you know, it should we be doing this or not, there's no trust there, right? right. Uh, you know, if there's agreement, 
and trust and we just put in the effort, uh, then we can get to where we need to go. And then I think the public once given all these new services that are suddenly available because of the infrastructure that's been quietly invested in over the past decade or two decades or whatever, uh, we'll be delighted with it, right? That's the argument that I usually make to shut down the um, either or people about, you know, space versus curing cancer or something like that. I, I usually say, so do you like your GPS? Right. And that 99% of the time <laughs> shuts it down right there like, ah. <laughs> Yes. Yeah, I just they don't think about it. They they think it comes out of their phone, I think. You know, they don't they don't really think about how this process works. Speaking of getting out into to geo, <laughs> having a wider perspective, what would you recommend, Andy, that in terms of um, you know, we've just talked a little bit about long-range thinking. Um, so national security does begin to play in there. Um what would you know, we we're talking about uh, increasing the, the, your vision as a, as a company owner, as an entrepreneur, the, your vision of the whole infra, um, e economy, right? The space economy, the, the ecosystem. There's the word I'm looking for. It was an yeah. E word and I couldn't think about it, right? What, what can you tell us about um, the thinking that you've been doing about visualizing that whole thing? Because I've realized in talking to you today, um, I may not have been approaching it as holistically as I would have liked to have believed. Um, so the first thing I'm going to say is we don't do a very good job uh, teaching that, hmm. which not surprisingly, I'll tell you, is one of the things we focus on at the Center for Space Entrepreneurship is that um, to be successful and in the space business long term, um, you really need to understand the whole infrastructure. Hmm. And, and there are, uh, I'll raise a couple of points. First is that um, there are really two things that investors look for. They look for the team, the quality of the team, the perseverance, the dedication of the team. Um, the other thing they look at is knowledge of the ecosystem. One of the things they don't typically look at is get locked into the product or technology. Yeah. Because what happens, this is kind of the second thing, typically most businesses that are successful were not successful with plan A. They're on plan B, plan C, plan D. And if you don't understand the entire ecosystem, it's really hard to make those kind of snap judgments to understand where the market is really headed. And, you know, fundamentally, you don't have a business if you don't have customers, as I mentioned mm -hmm. earlier. But you've got to understand the whole ecosystem of suppliers, regulations, adjacent industries, complementers, competitors. You've got to understand all of this stuff in some depth. And so um, that's what we teach. I mean, we, we do some technology in one of our four courses on technology and systems. So the business people can understand something about how these things work. But the rest of it is understanding policy, law, markets, and actually putting together a business that makes sense. We, this, this past year, as challenging as it was, because we went into this, you know, this time last year, we didn't know if we were going to have a program because of COVID. We had an, we initially planned to do the whole thing in Florida. And, and what we ended up doing was uh, we pivoted to what was going to be a hybrid program. We do eight weeks online and two weeks in Florida as kind of, you know, give an opportunity for everybody to get together, tour all the facilities, see the launch, all the really cool stuff, combine that into, into, into two weeks. And we learned something really great, which is that 
by going online, we were able to bring in students. We had three students from Africa, a bunch of students from, from Europe. We had one student from Sri Lanka um, and people from all around America. And these students were actually able to work while they're doing, they're spending half of their day in class and there's lots of reading. I mean, this is a real graduate program, um, but they were able to get through. But the thing that really got me is we had four of the teams, you know, one of the classes on entrepreneurship, uh, four of the teams actually went out and they're going to market. And, and one of those teams has actually got um, through a, uh, I guess an accelerator competition in a competitive program actually got a sizable investment. I mean, $50,000. I can't talk about much more than that. Mm -hmm. But um, and so I'm super, super excited about about that. The others, you know, are kind of even if they're not successful, they're learning and, and I'm communicating with all of them. And that's phenomenal. The other thing that was that just really, really impressed me was the quality of the work and the quality of the students that we had. So even though it was online, we, we had some great papers that are publishable quality. Uh, I was really excited about it. I'm super excited about what we have right now. I mean, we're almost getting to the point uh, where we're getting full and, uh, you know, we may have to make some hard decisions on, on who gets in, who doesn't, which is a great problem to have. Yeah. Um, but um, I'm super, super excited about how that program is going and, and mostly about where the students, you know, are, are taking it after they're done. And um, and it's all about, you know, they they understand the value about learning the ecosystem because you um, you know, if you're going to going through a forest and you you know on a rabbit trail, that's not if you don't know your way around, you don't know there are lions and tigers and bears, you're just gonna stay on that rabbit trail, and that rabbit trail may lead you into a hole, you know. <laughs> yeah, it might might go nowhere. Um, so we yeah, we've got folks like Dylan Taylor at Voyager that are looking at a building a value chain, really consciously going after this, right? And buying companies that give uh, them capabilities. And, and instead of doing part C in A, B, C, D, E, F, G, they're, they're gathering A through J or something like that, right? Yeah, and, and I, I said that's a super that's positive the wise choice, right? Yeah. <clears throat> um, how can regular people who don't have bazillions of dollars to <laughs> personally invest, um, kind of adopt that perspective or, or you know, some of it, at least, um, in, in looking at the space industry. Like, what do you look at or who do you talk to? Or, you know, I mean, I go around and I talk to everybody and I still don't think I have a, a, as great a perspective as I would like. Well, I mean, it's called learning and life. Yeah. You know, learning is a lifelong thing. I don't, I'm learning new things every day yeah. and it's really, really dynamic right now. And so that's great. So, um, not everybody can go out and just be a Dylan Taylor. Dylan mm -hmm. has been tremendously successful in other areas of business. Um, but I think that um, one of the things that's really instructive is we, you know, we jump to the Silicon Valley model, which is, you know, what we need to do is, okay, so we'll get a little bit of money. We'll find an angel investor, and then we need to go find a VC that's going to give us piles of money and, and all that kind of stuff. Um, there are other ways of building a company. You, know, you can bootstrap it from the ground up using government contracts, um, establishing sources of revenue, not over-investing, not incurring too much fixed cost. And, you know, a great example of this might be a company like Made, Made in Space. You know, for the first five years, they were operating, I think, completely on government contracts, most of which were from NASA. And, and they have grown and now they're, 
accepting investments, but it's after they've got their technology base, they've, they've established a track record, and they may be able to deliver the kinds of returns that venture capital is expecting. But it's really hard to make those returns when you're just starting out, you know, especially if you're going to build a rocket or something like that. Um, so I think one of the key part um, pieces of advice is to look for ways of building your company organically as much as you can until you're at a point where you're really ready to accept the responsibility for the kind of growth that venture capital is going to throw at you if that's the way you're going to go. Um, because it's tough if you've got a if you've got a VC that's demanding, you know, 20x growth and it's going to give you money, what you're going to do is you're going to have to ask for enough money in order to invest in the, in the capital facilities to achieve those markets, whether they exist or not. Mm -hmm. And um, that's where you kind of get into a death spiral that I worry about mm -hmm. uh, is, you know, building companies based on a set of assumptions that that you have to adopt in order to get to your valuation that you can have, you can't meet. Mm -hmm. um, and so I'm a huge fan of building companies, particularly on the hardware side, building companies slowly, having realistic market assessments. And that's not just how big is the market, but what's your competitive position in the market? Mm -hmm. What is it that you are going to do better than anyone else in order to draw capital? I mean, one of the things I love, I mean, I'll stay on launch because I grew up in that industry and I'm also doing a study, but I mean, in launch, there are really only a few things that matter. What matters is price, what matters is reliability, and what matters is co customer confidence. But beyond that, the customer doesn't care if, you're, if your rocket is additively manufactured or if you make it out of Play-Doh. If it works, that's great. It doesn't care if you got electric pumps or you know, hydro, I don't know what, you know, solar powered yeah. pumps. Yeah. It doesn't matter if it doesn't, it doesn't increase the performance. Well, they're not going to buy your launch vehicle if you don't have the performance to get them into the orbit of the place that they need to be in. But if you get them there reliably, reliably on time, that's it. The rest of it is just kind of hype. Yeah. Yeah. And this is something I've been saying for many years to business owners, founders in all kinds of industries, not just space. Get the result, right? Get the result and the, the customer does not care how you get it, as long as you get it. I used to joke, if your thing is lead generation and your method of getting lead generation is getting a herd of zebras to run through town square with monogram blankets over their backs with the phone number of the customer on it, and that works, that owner, yeah. that customer of yours is gonna be bragging, hey, did you see my zebra herd next week? You know, it, I mean, get off the tech, it, right? It's very specific to the industry. Ferrari makes ungodly margins. They make ungodly margins because of their brand and because it's a beautiful car. But that doesn't matter in the space business. It's all about perform in the hardware side of it. It's all about performance. Nobody cares if you got a pretty launch vehicle. All right, it could be. Right. It, it could it be just, a rectangle. Yeah. yeah it <laughs> it doesn't matter. And so um, I think, you know, it, the fundamentals really matter. And, you know, there's an awful lot of um, hype in the business, which isn't part of business fundamentals that, you know, maybe it helps to get to get investment to be sure. Um, and then that's a, you know, the kinds of things you need to do to attract investment sometimes are antithetical to the kinds of things you need to do to make money. And, um, 
Um, yeah. And we've seen a lot of that wreckage. Is the hype a moat? Is the thing being hyped really a protective moat? Or is it just something cool that you say now? And then once you've proven that there's a market, suddenly competitors will come in. Well, and I, yeah, and it's, um, there's a lot of hype, which is not a moat. And investors are getting more sophisticated. And I think that's something that needs to happen. And I, um, um, I'm looking forward to more of that happening, but I guess, you know, some of the valuations that have been thrown out in the last six months, since the last time we talked, have, have really made me wonder about the sophistication of investors. Mm -hmm. But then again, you know, the, the SPACs are kind of odd investment vehicles right. because there's such a difference in the basic incentive structure between the founder of the SPAC, the retail investor and the company. Right. Yeah. And how the risk is distributed. Um, I can say from personal experience, having talked to venture capitalists who are not sector specific in space, they do not know the space industry at all. They have heard a few names and that's it. And then they ask me, what do you think about this company? <laughs> right? And uh, usually I have to uh, be pretty firm. <laughs> about, but, uh, I mean, the thing know, that they should be idea. asking is, what do you think about this company? They should be thinking about, what do you think about this market segment? Right. Right. Yeah. And and what, what's happening company. in it? Yeah. Yeah. Because a venture capitalist, I mean, these are sophisticated people, the mm. sophisticated companies that know how to evaluate management talent. Right. They don't know how to evaluate markets. And I think mm. that's sort of the key because you can throw out, um, you know, all of the constellations say, well, look, you know, we've got SpaceX put up 40,000 and Kuiper is going to put up another 15,000. And you know who else is going to put up another ten thousand satellite constellation, and and of course there's plenty of launches for everybody. Well, no, none of those launches are going to small launchers, and unless you have um, real experience or real understanding, and, and that's easy, that's an easy market to figure out. Um, but unless you have real understanding of it, it's easy to be seduced by by that market. <laughs> yeah. 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 That's, that's a toughie. Cause you know, I, I, I think of, um, the, the commercial side of this industry, especially being nascent, uh, having a lot of, uh, you know, vigor and a lot of ideas, but how can you assess management talent when there hasn't been a lot of execution yet? Right. It's, it's, it's just ideas, right? In a, in a lot of these cases. Yeah, I mean, we're, I mean, we're certainly getting to the point where there are companies that are executing and building things. Mm -hmm. What we don't really know is um, how well they're executing their business and how mm -hmm. profitable they are. Right. I mean, Do they have those there cash there, reserves? There aren't a lot of space companies that are um, um, that report to the SEC. And in that sense, I think some reporting through SPACs will help. Mm. And that'll be a good thing, but you know, until we get real data, it's going to be hard to see who is really being profitable. And the other thing about this whole market, I mean, space technology is really mature. Hmm. In fact, there aren't many companies that are out there that are doing things that are technology technologically um, new. But what is unknown is really the markets, and those are nascent, and that's what's immature, and that's what our understanding is necessarily immature because. It's almost unknowable, for example, what's going to happen in suborbital tourism. It's almost unknowable what's going to happen in orbital tourism. It's almost unknowable what's going to happen 
um, with commercial remote sensing because we just there there aren't very good databases to look at you know to figure out whether these markets are going to make sense and so um that doesn't mean you should just that that i think only increases the requirement for knowledge and understanding um and and intelligence right just look at if it doesn't make sense it ain't going to make dollars i'll tell you that and so that's what's in that's what's immature and that's what's in short supply and of course that's what i'm teaching but right, right. this isn't about self-promotion well it, Not it, can, it can be a little bit <laughs> so, <laughs> you come on no, you provide it, a lot of, of value yeah you can see a thing yeah, of course and, and it's not you know it's not just for the people who are running these industries and trying to find markets i think it's for the investors as well and for policymakers, frankly okay well let's wrap up there because i know we're getting close to our time limit uh yeah. what what should people do next if they want to find out more about the program i'll, I'll put a link into the description below uh, you know, if you did, um, okay, so it'd be fit.edu slash ISU CSE. Uh, as simple that's as that, folks. It. We, <laughs> Say that we 20 up, times fast. <laughs> right. We wrap up our applications at uh, the end of the month. We start on May 18th. It'll be eight weeks online and then two weeks at the visitor complex at Kennedy Space Center, which is a phenomenal location. You know, you have rockets all over the place. It's hard to imagine that two weeks going by without a launch, but we don't have a specific launch catered. Uh, uh, designated yet, but we will do something around the launch. We will have lots of guest speakers and um, and people coming in to visit and touring facilities. Um, and um, it's going to be a great program this year. Looking at the students that we've got, it's just, um, I have very high expectations for this class. Awesome. Yeah. Well, it's, it's April, uh, first week of April when this will come out. So weeks. get on this if you're hearing this and it's still before uh, May. Um, we've talked, Andy and I have talked about the program a couple times before. I'll drop a couple more links in the description so you can uh, learn about it um, from the from the past experience. And uh, I think it's, it's incredibly um, sharply needed. <laughs> it's, you know, if you like anything that you've heard today, uh, and, and, uh, you know, I've said it myself. I, I don't think I'm a dumb guy and I keep learning stuff here. So um if i need it you know everybody needs it kind of thing here so and maybe even if you don't like it yeah. think about it for a little while if it makes sense to you <laughs> right. come, and, come and visit us you know and, and, and the best thing is is to talk to some of the other students because i think it's really been um, a tremendous experience for them awesome okay. all right dr Jason, Andrew Aldrin, it's always a pleasure it. you bet okay yeah. take care have a great day thanks for tuning in if you're interested in working with us at Cold Star Tech, here are some of the things that we can help with. There's a lot of people who talk about process, documentation control, attention to detail, all this stuff. We help organizations become true learning organizations. Remember, if something isn't written down or recorded in some way that's accessible, searchable, findable, it didn't happen. It might as well not have happened. So if you have two people who solve a problem, a serious problem in your organization, but they do so in isolation and nobody finds out about it, which happens all the time, then it didn't really happen and nobody else can access that wisdom. So we unlock wisdom for your organization. We do a lot of things in the space industry. We have access to regulatory and legal officials who can help you if you're a space industry founder find out what areas of regulation and compliance uh, do you need to be you know, working with, compliant with. And we find a lot of folks 
don't even know about some of these areas. They don't even know that they exist. Can you imagine how you're going to stumble and stub your toe and really screw up your organization's timetable if you don't know about these things? So come and talk to us. We've got great relationships with the right people, especially in the United States and in England, and uh, we'll be able to help you with that. And so when it comes to process improvement, whether that's some sort of business documentation, business development roles, wow, have I seen some things in business development. You got founders out there who all they're doing is quoting on projects. This is a mistake. You're wasting your energy bidding on things that most of which you never even had a chance of winning in the first place. Uh, I've seen people bankrupt themselves bidding on everything or bidding on only these uh, high-end things and not realizing that you need to have a strategy so that this bidding process pays for itself. I mean, you got to learn how to screen here. And this is not something that they teach you in school. I, I had to learn it myself, so don't feel bad about it, but come talk to us about it, okay? Uh, so either it's on the business process side or the actual manufacturing of physical goods that kind of process improvement. You can come talk to us. Can this be done faster, cheaper, better? And yes, most of the time it sure can um, because people just do stuff. And the first person to invent the way of doing things uh, is the person who gets to choose most of the time how things are done. This happens all over the place. There are, I like to point out our um, traffic signals for, for automobiles are based on the way that they ran railway traffic 100 years before that, okay? So, and this is key in the space industry right now, which is new, right? This is an area that I personally am interested in. How we figure out how to do stuff today is going to impact generations because people are so easily locked into, this is how we've always done it. And if you hear that at your organization, there's a warning bell. This is how we've always done it. You need to come talk to us at that point, okay? So reach out to us. It's easy to do. Just message me on LinkedIn or email me at jason at coldstartech.com. I want to hear from you. Thanks for listening.